Good morning. Happy Sabbath. While I bring you greetings from Fayetteville, North Carolina, where I have the uh, privilege of uh, being the husband of one wife and the chief of a tribe of Braxtons. Right now we have three. We'll see how far the Lord takes us. Uh, my wife sends her greetings and her prayers with you. Um, it is uh, a privilege uh, to be able to speak to you guys here at the Amen Conference. Um, you know, I, I wondered when uh, Carlos first talked to me about it and said, hey, would you, would you be open to that? And do you have a burden for health? I definitely affirmed my burden for health, which I will get into shortly. Um, but also, I, I considered it a very unique privilege because I believed that there's something very unique about this particular conference because of how central and powerful the health message is and has been in so many people's lives. But also because there's a huge context to this conference that I think is important to define. And so allow me to share a few things to give context to this particular divine hour. Before we do that, I would like to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to be with us. If you would bow your heads with me. Mighty God, everlasting Father, we are so grateful that we can come into this place and worship in peace. We are also grateful that we have the privilege to worship together and to hear from God. We did not come here to hear the words of men. Lord, there are many medical conferences that happen all over the world, but there is none like this one. And we pray that you would prove that by the experience that we have this morning. Father, we thank you that God is willing to use broken people like us. We pray that you would speak through this man who is but dust in your sight. And that you would not only speak through me, but that you would speak to me. That we all may be changed, that Jesus may be seen. And that we and this world may be more prepared to meet the Lord because of the time that we have spent here this morning. We thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. And we offer it up from our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. There are several contexts to my remarks this morning. Some people may wonder, as a good friend of mine said on the way in this morning, she said, Sebastian, it's so funny that they asked you to speak. You're not even a doctor. What are you going to say? <laughs> and then I remembered when Amen was first being introduced to GYC in Chattanooga that uh, Mark, Mike Orlich and Pastor Finley walked on the stage and Mike Orlich said, so Elder Finley, you know, people are probably wondering, what does Elder Finley, you know, know about the medical world and why does he have an interest in medicine? And Elder Finley said, I'm a doctor of the soul, brother. <laughs> so I want to borrow that one this morning. I am a doctor of the soul. Also, as noted by Dr. Neblet, that I serve as the CEO of the New Life Challenge, where we're trying to bring the health message into the hands of millennials. Um, to leverage technology and mobile phones and tablets so that we can make our message ubiquitous, as are the devices that people use. And to be able to leverage that to encourage every church to be involved in health ministry. But more about that after. This is not a commercial. The third context to our remar my remarks is health is very personal to me. The health message was something that impacted my life even before I had a Bible study. People don't know that when I was uh, born, my mother almost died giving birth to me. I'm the first of seven. Thankfully, because of medicine, they realized that there was a problem with my mother's blood pressure being through the roof. You guys probably know the medical term for it. All I know is... It was either cesarean or you are born as a man without a mom. So they took me out early 
in order to save my mother, which I'm very grateful for that. Medicine also saved my life, but also began to show its limitations. When I was 15 years old, living in Stone Mountain, Georgia, as I was sleeping one night, I woke up in the middle of the night unable to breathe. My throat had closed and my body began to regurgitate whatever was in my stomach. After I would regurgitate and would try to breathe, my throat would close again. So I couldn't scream and ask for help. It's about one in the morning. Eventually, I threw myself onto the landing outside my room to try to make some noise to wake up my family. Eventually, my father got up, who is a doctor, and pretty much watched me go through the experience. Eventually, it stopped. They took me to the doctor. They said, all the tests are normal. But we're going to give you some inhalers. So I used to take two inhalers three times a day till I came to the health message. And when I decided to give up meat and dairy to focus a lot more, I mean, I was a Marine, so I wasn't a completely unhealthy person, but I definitely needed a bigger picture of what health looked like. And as a result, I eventually got off of inhalers and could run around and do whatever I like completely freely. And so I also recognize that I owe a great debt to physicians even for my own personal life. One of the final contexts I want to share is uh, recent research that has come out. And this is what drives me even in what I'm doing with the New Life Challenge. It's one thing to travel the world and speak to people about God and about their spiritual health and how they are doing in terms of their emotional life, in terms of their spiritual connection with God. It's another thing to sit and recognize that as a minister, when people come to me with a physical ailment, I'm limited simply by prayer or simply by what I read in councils on diets and foods or what I know about health from my own life and experience. But this becomes a problem because when you recognize that almost 70% of adults in America are obese, when you think about the fact that heart disease is still the leading cause of death for men and women, 88 million people are pre-diabetic, 22 million are actually diabetic. And we know the number is growing, not reducing. To think about hypertension, one in three people have high blood pressure. One in three. High cholesterol, 102 million. You know, it's easy to use these numbers because they don't really, <laughs> they don't really impact us as numbers. It's when you have to go to the bedside because you're the preacher. And you have to sit there and watch this person's loved one wither away. And they're wondering why their dad, when this person smokes and lives to 100, creates a lot of theological problems. One of the other things that I want to add, Doc, uh, David Williams, who's a professor at Harvard, worked with him from University of Michigan as well as in Boston. He came out with a recent research study that discrimination can make you sick. Discrimination can make you sick. Growing up in inner city Chicago, I know what it's like to be racially profiled. I know what it's like for people to make it very clear that Sebastian can play basketball with you and Sebastian can be your friend, but, you know, marriage and all those things are out of the question. And they made it abundantly clear to me as well. but even more closer to home to amen. Stephen and Katie Waterbrook are not with us because of health. It's no longer just affecting people who don't follow our diet. It's affecting people who do follow our diet. In these kind of situations, it raises the question that you place in your theme 
that we said radical practice, and the next word is healing in the 11th hour. I can promise you this morning that Stephen and Katie are not looking for treatment. They're looking for healing. They're not praying to be medicated. They're praying for healing. Any one of us who has a family member that is suffering some physical ailment, the driving desire behind anything that we do as medical professionals has nothing to do with a practice, has everything to do with the concept of healing. We are in the business of dealing with broken people. We exist because the world is broken. This conference is a constant reminder of how broken the world is, that you can graduate hundreds and hundreds of people from medical school and nursing school and nurse practitionerships and dietitians and never, ever run out. You know how many times I talk to people and say, why did you go into nursing? Nurses are always in demand. And I wonder why that is the case. Because perhaps the system didn't set it up so that that would never need to be the case. In this very room, we have a very unique opportunity. I don't consider this just another medical event. I consider this event as the creme de la creme of the medical events that happens. Because the amount of intelligence and insight that God has given to the physicians and nurses and medical professionals in this room, which has come divinely given by God. You have a different calling as a medical professional. As Daryl mentioned in his talk, you did not go into medicine to make money. And if you did, you're not an Adventist physician. We recognize in the medical work, the same thing that happens in the ministerial work. People ask me all the time, why are you not a pastor? Because God never called me to be a pastor. You don't become a pastor because you have a gift. You don't become a pastor because you have an ability. You become a pastor because God called you to be a pastor. How many people do you think wanted to be one of Jesus' disciples? There were 70, but only 12 were called. That is not your calling. So for us this morning, in this context, for my remarks, I want us to make no mistake about it, that we don't come here just to gather and pat ourselves on the back and remind ourselves that we have a message. No, we are here to re-energize ourselves. To never forget who we are as Adventist physicians. God did not call you to practice medicine the way every other doctor in the neighborhood practices medicine. He gave us unique understanding of the human body. He gave us insight when everyone else said nothing wrong with smoking, but God told us otherwise. And Kellogg was not known because he was just another physician. Kellogg had J.C. Penney and Post and all these people coming not because, oh, he has a medical degree from the University of Michigan. It's because of what Kellogg was doing was innovative. And all he was doing was what? Taking what was given to us by God. And combining it with medicine. Using the methods of evidence-based medicine to prove the things that God already said. So before I get ahead of myself... We are living in a time where this room can no longer leave here to go back business as usual. And I'm making that statement up front. You can't put the word radical in your theme and expect to hear more of the same. You didn't come here to be patted on the back. Not with this theme. If it was like, hey, physicians in the 21st century, that would be great. Let's learn about innovation. But radical practice? And then we add the term in the 11th hour. That means time is short. We don't have time to keep medicating patients. We don't have time to make sure business continues for the next 10 years. 
Our concern as medical professionals should be to make sure that we go out of business. That's a hard thing to swallow. But it's not until I learned even in ministry that eventually the days come where you wish you could be out of business. See, early on, like Daryl said, we live a comfortable life. Buy what we want, fly over here. Most of the world can't afford to pay $300 for a conference. Most of the world. We could even bring it to America. This is a privilege and a luxury. In this particular context that we can come and pay this money for, what is the value that we're supposed to get out? Did we come here to socialize? Connect with old friends? When you got 102 million people grappling with high cholesterol? We should be figuring out how to solve these problems, the great medical problems of our time. Health is not a problem, it is the problem. But we shrink back from the giants that lay before us. Sebastian, can't get dreamy out here. Don't try to push us too far, don't try to push us too high. Don't try to set our ambitions too, too high because we might be disappointed. That's why we don't attempt to attack those problems. But we're not talking about individuals. We have at least 400 people here. Majority of whom are in the medical work. You're telling me that all of these physicians and nurses and practitioners and surgeons and dentists and all these medical minds in this room sanctified to God couldn't solve these problems? My answer is yes, I believe he can. But it can't be business as usual because whatever we've been doing hasn't solved them. We have to move forward. The title of my message is Doctor Who. And I'll come back to that in a moment as my time is quickly escaping me. So take your Bibles, let's go to the book of Mark chapter 5. Because my focus, which I believe is central to your theme and central to your conference and central to our identity, as amen, is the word healing. It is the word healing. Mark chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. When you're there, if you can say amen. The Bible says in verse 21 of Mark chapter 5, it says, And when Jesus passed over again by the ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. In verse 23, and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be what? Healed, and she shall live. Now, let's be clear on the request that Jairus is bringing to Jesus. First of all, you don't come looking for healing unless you are coming to a healer. Are you with me? Jairus did not go to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, according to history, had enough money to support Jerusalem out of his own pocket for 100 years. But he was not a healer. Jairus did not come to one of Jesus' disciples. Because in his mind, they were not healers. But we must begin with the very basic point 
and regarding the urgency of healing in the 11th hour is the fact that people are looking for healing. Jesus didn't have to look for people. That is the unique thing that the health message informs us on evangelism. This whole concept of having to chase people down is not necessary. I never find a time in the Bible where it says Jesus ran after someone. Please come back. We have a series starting on Thursday. Somebody ought to say amen. I never find Jesus nickel and diming people trying, hey, listen, man, we're giving out free donuts with a little spiritual track in there. I never find Jesus shaking hands with people just to trick them into touching him so he could heal them. There was no bait and switch. Jesus wasn't chasing them. They were chasing him. And you know why they were chasing him? Because he was a healer. Ask ourselves this question this morning. In the Adventist a Medical Evangelism Network, from seasoned physicians and practitioners and clinicians all the way down to first-year medical student or aspiring medical student or dentist or whatever it is, Ask yourself this question. Is your aim fundamentally to heal? And those of us who have a practice, is your practice about healing or is it about business? Because let me tell you something. I am a businessman. And the number one goal of any business is to last. Amen. The goal is longevity. Makes no sense making a billion dollars only to go out of business. So at the end of the day, the goal is, if, if, if my focus is as a medical practitioner, is it healing or is it about my business? Healing is empowering to the person. The person who is empowered in that paradigm is the person who was sick. And my focus is not just on healing, but healing gets to the root of the cause. You did not heal me if you only treated my symptoms. It's the truth. You sent me away more comfortable than when I came, but you didn't heal me. If we want to heal, we have to go to the cause. You know, I, I discovered something years ago. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, if your eye causes you to offend, what should you do? He said, you should pluck it out and do what? Do you guys know the text? Oh, you guys are physicians, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> he says, take your eye out and cast it from you. It would be better that your eye perish than that your whole body enter where? Into hell. So I want you to notice Christ's point. He says, if your eye causes you to offend. He didn't say, cast out the sin. Notice he uses very specific language. Causes. So as they say, right, in, in, in the medical field, the etiology, right? And sometimes we have problems where we say etiology unknown. But Christ says, you know the cause. And if you know the cause, and this cause is causing you to sin. He says, do you know what the proper medical procedure is? Do you deal with the offense? Is that Jesus' advice? Yes or no? No, that's not his advice. It's causing you to offend. Okay, my eye is causing me to look upon a woman and lust. That's the context of the statement. The context is you look upon a woman and lust in your heart, you're already guilty. The next words are, if your eye causes you to offend. So Christ is saying, listen, there's nothing wrong with an eye. Am I right? It is not an intrinsically evil organ. There's nothing wrong with the eye. 
But he says, if something good is leading you to do something bad, then you got to get rid of the I. And once you get rid of the I, because you dealt with the cause, there will be no offense to follow. And notice he doesn't say pluck it out and put it in a jar for reinstallation later. I might find a way to fix this eye. That's not what Jesus says. He says, take the eye out and the next phrase is cast it away from you. It is no longer useful to us. So when I talk to young people about dealing with sin. If we applied the same approach that we applied to medicine to sin. Imagine what the problems we would have in our church. Don't deal with the cause. The symptom is guilt. Don't deal with the cause. The symptom is, hey, you know what? Let's help him not to feel bad about what he's doing. When the very root cause needs to be addressed. And healing is not about saying, how do we get rid of the offense? Healing is about get rid of the eye. And don't keep it. Throw it away. It's gone forever. Do you know how many people will sit and argue? Well, there are benefits to wine. There are benefits to eating certain kinds of meat, depending on your condition. There are benefits to dairy. There are benefits to this. I'm like, brother, there's benefits to everything. In the right context. So I'm like, in the military, we recognize the fact that if I go out in the field and you're like, man, I got nothing to sanitize this thing with. Say, well, use what you got. It's a benefit, but I'm not recommending those things as a normal practice. At the very root of what we are dealing with as healers is to deal with the cause. Jesus was not, Jairus was not asking Jesus to deal with the symptoms. He was asking for healing. And fundamentally, if we are going to be radical in our perspective about what we do in our medical practices, we have to take away the centrality of the business and make the centrality about healing. And listen, I'm going to tell you this as a business person. Do you know how many businesses are following the same model? It's no longer about making money. It's about recognizing we want to take care of you as a person, what you need. All businesses are moving that direction. And what they're saying is, as we move that direction, they are finding that they are more profitable. How ironic. And it's sad that it is money driving other people to do the things that God told us to do. We already knew. Imagine what evangelism would look like. In our churches, when you didn't have to chase people, they were coming to your church all the time. Why? Because that's where you go to get healed. Or is it a place where you go to get judged? That's not healing. Or it's a place where you go to get ignored. Which leads me to my second point. The second point here in the story is not only you have the issue of dealing with the cause and healing, but also recognizing that healing comes from a healer. This was their expectation. Jesus was a healer. There was an old preacher from New York. He said, the best thing you can do for the poor is not be one of them. That's what he said. He said, the best thing you can do for the poor is not be one of them. And here was his point. You can't help a poor man if you are poor yourself. Amen. If I'm poor, how can I help you? Ellen White says such just as much. Where she says, it is by lifting ourselves that we lift other people. So this whole concept of neglecting the Bible so that I can give Bible studies doesn't work. 
This whole concept of neglecting my health so that I can help other people's health doesn't work. She says, even though Jesus did all his healing, he never violated one principle of health. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to process that one. Healing people all night in Capernaum, that's not violate. Clearly it was not a violation. You know, Gandhi said, my message is my life. You know, one of the most frustrating things about where we are as Adventist physicians and medical practitioners is the fact that many of us do not practice a healthy lifestyle. Before we even get to the issue of healing someone else, the question is, am I healed? What is my lifestyle like? Could I say that my life is my message? So now let me share some of my personal experiences again about why this is a burden for me. I used to work for a mammographer. So I worked in the mammography department in a big hospital in Chicago. And I recall when we would come to work, it would always be a fascination about what Sebastian was eating. Okay, what do you have for us today, Sebastian? Let's see, okay, um, broccoli and, okay, what, is this all you're going to eat? And then when we go down to the cafeteria, they say, hey, man, lunch is on me. I'll take you down to the cafeteria. So I'll go down with the doctor and the nurse practitioner and the radiologist and all these different people. We go down to the cafeteria the hospital. And they go Philly cheesesteak, you know, large fries, 32-ounce soda. We sit down at the table. I have a salad, some soup. They're like, Sebastian, you're making me feel bad. (laughs) I'm like, what do you mean? I mean, you're just eating so healthy. I'm like, you're a doctor. If anyone knows to eat healthy, it should be you. (laughs) The guy looked at me and he said, How did you learn to eat healthy? I said, I learned from God. It's in the Bible. He said, really? So everyone's listening to me have this conversation with the doctor. And next thing you know, I said, you know, doc, it's interesting to me that you just told the patient that if they don't stop eating the very same stuff you're eating, (laughs) he's going to have a heart attack. I'm wondering if your heart works the same. So he laughed. He said, you got me there, Sebastian. Because what you find is, is the fact that we know better, we're not doing better. You see, when we decide as medical clinicians and practitioners to practice our own message, we will be able to empathize with people. You won't just go telling people eat more vegetables. What vegetables are you eating? Oh, you need to add some some fruits to your diet. What fruits are you eating? Oh, you need to exercise. How many of you are exercising? You could come to Amen, go to the fitness center, and most of us are not there. It's the truth. And I took a walk this morning just to see if there'd be any physicians walking around. I didn't see any of you guys out there. There were. I saw a few. I saw a few. I didn't see you, Dr. Bryce. It was too early. (laughs) We, if we want to talk about radical, which means changing something at its fundamental nature, complete overhaul, radical practice starts with a radically practicing physician. Then when you come to your patient, you can say, look, I am on an exercise regime. I am on a strict diet. I know what it's like when it's your birthday and you want chocolate cake. I know what it's like. And your grandmother comes in town and it's Thanksgiving and that German chocolate cake just looks so good. I know. Because I've been there. 
Because just like Jesus, as a great physician, he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He understood the struggle to be healthy too. And to be disciplined in our diet and to be disciplined in our sleep. But it all starts back with us as the medical professionals ourselves. And I'm not just talking about general doctors. I'm talking about we as the people of God. You're not just a doctor. You're a remnant doctor. Not called to be the same. God is not going to look at you and say, well, you went to Johns Hopkins, so therefore I'm going to judge you higher. He's going to say, you went to the seven-day Adventist church. I will judge you higher. And it never, ever, ever gets any less irritating to me that people think they can become smarter than the spirit of prophecy. I don't care what your medical journal says. I'm going to tell you the truth. You know how many people tried to disprove God? They learned the hard way. You know what I always hear when I fly on planes, I always ask people when I'm sitting next to them what their profession is. And I always ask two questions. I say, what's the most rewarding thing about what you do? And what's the most challenging thing about what you do? Sitting next to a physician one time, I asked him those questions. He said, one of the most challenging things about being a doctor is when you tell patients to do something, they don't do it. Go home, take this every day, call me and they don't listen. He says, then the situation gets desperate. Then they'll do whatever you say. And he's like, we could have avoided this if you would have just done what I told you to do. So he said, it's hard for me. And I said, you know, it's so interesting. I find the same thing in the Bible with God's people. God's like, we could have avoided this Babylonian captivity. We could have avoided Egyptian captivity. We could have avoided the temple being destroyed. We could have avoided missing Christ coming in 1888. We could have avoided this. Just because God's people don't want to do what he says. And it's crazy to think that it is radical just to render simple obedience and trust to God. That is radical. Why do you do what you do? Because the Bible says, oh, he's a radical Christian. We've been proved on this point time and time and time and time again. I'm like so deviating from my notes right now. It is. <laughs> I'm just going to let the Lord speak. <laughs> I read a book called Upstream Doctors. It's an interesting book. I want to share with you where the concept upstream comes from. I'm imagining anyone into public health probably knows the story. But for those of us who don't know it, I'd like to share it. This is what he says as he introduces the concept in the book. He says, three friends approach a wide, beautiful river. Far off, they see the river leading to a waterfall. The idyllic scene is shattered by the cries of a small child in the water. Flailing his arms while struggling to stay afloat. He's fast approaching the waterfall. To their horror, the friends see other children struggling in the water. They immediately jump in to rescue the children. One by one, they try to bring them to safety. The relief and gratitude from the rescued children buoy their spirits. They're successful, but not always. Soon, the rescuers start to realize that the number of children in need isn't going down. They look upstream. And all they can see are more children struggling in the water. They get back to work, heroically redoubling their efforts. One of the friends focuses on saving kids at risk of drowning right away. Another manages to coordinate floating branches into a makeshift raft, ushering other children to safety. But the children keep coming. 
and the current gets stronger. After a while, two of the rescuers look up exhausted. The third friend is swimming away from them, upstream, helping a few children along the way. In despair, one of the rescuers shouts out from down the river, Hey, come back! Where are you going? There are more children to save. The other rescuer keeps swimming upstream, tired but determined. She shouts back to her friends, I know I'm going to stop whoever or whatever is throwing these children into the water. He goes on to say, in this book, I argue that the future of healthcare depends on growing and supporting more upstreamists. Upstreamist practitioners who may be doctors or nurses or other clinicians know that asthma can start in the air around us. They understand that obesity, diabetes, and heart disease partially originate in our busy modern schedules in the unnatural food choices available in our communities and even in the way our neighborhoods are built and designed. They know that ailments such as depression, anxiety, and high blood pressure can arise from chronically stressful conditions at work and home. They see how policies that afford or deny opportunity, fairness, and justice can be reflected in patients' faces as well as in their DNA. And just as important, these caregivers understand how to translate this knowledge into meaningful action. The upstreamist considers it her professional duty, not only to prescribe a chemical remedy, but also to tackle the sickness at its source. It is amazing to think that here, these people, they've been talking about this since 1960. We've had this message since the 1800s. But we decided to be downstreamists. And so my challenge is to be upstreamist. I'm going to give specific recommendations and then finish my talk. One of the interesting things in this story, in Mark chapter 5, is Jesus calls the girl or the woman daughter. When was the last time you called your patient brother or sister? This is why I said the context of Steve and Katie is important. Chemotherapy is a painful process and it's hard to watch. I have close friends, Hodgkin's lymphoma, stage three, my age, don't want to do chemotherapy. And you know why they don't? Because of what they've seen. I have friends having heart attacks at 30 on the soccer field. Skin conditions that refuse to go away. And you ask yourself the question, why is it that when I talk to each and every one of them and say, go to the doctor, that's the last place they want to go? Because their answer is always the same. The doctor's not going to help me. They're just going to recommend this, and I don't want to do that. They're just going to tell me, go do this. But the difference is, in this room, we can change that. That doesn't have to be the mindset of people in the public about a doctor or a nurse or a, a, a PA or whatever it is. That doesn't have to be the mindset. The mindset can be, I want to go to the doctor, not because they're a doctor, but because they're a healer. 
Their goal is not to sit down and figure out how to milk me for all the money they can get. Their goal is to say, how can I get you whole? And I guarantee you, though your budget may just scrape by, but the souls in heaven will make all the difference. If you and I want to go to sleep with good conscience, if you and I want to be able to leave this earth as a physician with all of our degrees and all of our research and all of our accolades and actually be able to stand before God with joy, it's because we prioritize the critical element of why God called us to be in the medical field. He wanted to use us to heal. And not only did we heal them physically, we healed them spiritually. But it all starts with us individually. And so I only have a basic, basic challenge. Two elements. Because I can't tell you what that practically looks like. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I have ideas. But many of you are actually in the patient rooms. You'll be back there on Monday. So my challenge is twofold. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. My first invitation is for that medical professional or student in training or resident or nurse, whatever it is, you know that God is leading you into the medical field, into the health work. And right now, you know that your lifestyle does not reflect the very principles that you seek to advocate. But today, God wants to remind you that it's never going to be possible in your strength. It's only going to be possible in his strength. And you are willing to go on a journey with Jesus to say, Lord, I need to reform my personal health choices. And I'm willing to make that decision this morning. I want to invite you to stand to your feet if you're willing to make that commitment. As a medical professional or student or nurse or practitioner or whatever, I know I'm not living up according to the medical knowledge and the health knowledge that I have. And radical practice starts with me as an individual practitioner. Am I living a healthy life? My second invitation is for that individual that says, maybe you have your own practice, maybe you work at a clinic, maybe whatever. Some individual, you have autonomy to affect the way your medical practice works. And this morning, you want to say, I'm moving from a business-centric model to a healing-centric model. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm willing to explore it with Jesus and with counselors. If that's your decision, I want to invite you to come up front because I want to pray for you. Because that's a radical commitment. I'm moving from a business-centric to a healing-centric model. This is going to be the focus of my practice because I have influence. I can change the nature of how it goes. And I believe many more people would do things if they were asked. You can come all the way up front. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Don't have to be far away. Anyone else? I'm moving from a business-centric to a healing-centric practice. I want people to be healed. I don't want you to keep coming back to get your teeth pulled. I want you to solve the problem. It's because you're eating candy. It's the truth. Stop drinking soda on the plane. Take water. That's a healing-centric practice. My doctor could have warned me a long time ago when I was playing basketball and soccer. Sebastian, if you would have just done this. But no, he wanted me to keep coming back. Doomed me to say, Sebastian, one day you're going to need surgery on that knee. It's inevitable. Could have warned me when I was young. This is the best way to do this. Didn't do that. Practice was not healing focused. Anyone else?
says, I want to change my model from a business-centric to a healing-centric model. Because you have influence. This is not for everybody. Those of you join me up front, if you wouldn't mind kneeling, we want to consecrate our decision and your practice and influence to God. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, Jesus has a name that is above every name. And that's what leads us to bow. We recognize that you've entrusted us with an enormous amount of influence as medical workers. It is our prayer that those of us who have stood to start radically practicing in our own personal lives, that our patients may see the difference of what following these principles means because they've seen it in our own lives. That this would be the summary of our experience, that my message is my life. That we would offer patients nothing that we ourselves would not take. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace and multiply your mercy to us, that we may live up according to what we know. At the same time, some of us have come forward to make an even greater radical commitment. Because of the influence that you've given us in our particular areas, we want to move from a business-centric to a healing-centric approach. And so, Father, as they kneel here before you, it is my prayer that this would be the beginning of a radical change in medicine. That they would see, as other physicians before them, as other scientists before them, have brought great change to the world that has blessed and saved the lives of billions of people. Because they were willing to swim upstream. Because they were willing to go against the grain. I pray that you would, number one, fortify them with a courage that only heaven can bestow. It is my prayer that you would protect their families and their loved ones, and you would protect their minds, that they may always have clarity of what led them to this moment of time. It is also my prayer, Lord, that you would prosper their journey, that you would take them as far and as fast as they are willing to go. And Lord, may it be their collective experience that begins a tidal wave of change. And Father, for those that come after them, that this legacy would be passed on. So while other doctors may be asked, do you remember doctor such and such? And a person will say, doctor who? But these individuals... Do you remember this doctor? People will say, I remember him. Because of the legacy that they left to us, not just of medicine, but of healing. We love you and we thank you for these gifts. And we offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.